what? Oh my goodness, I sure hope nobody goes from here thinking that's what we really believe. <laughs> but I want to tell you this, um, serving is one of the central values or virtues of our faith. And a lot of people don't know that. They don't know that at the very core of who we are is that we are supposed to be people who know how to serve. And it's, this is, this is a ancient doctrine, ancient teaching. It's ancient Christian practice. And in fact, uh, once a year, you may, want, uh, you may catch a, a video clip of the Pope washing the feet of the cardinals. It's an act of servanthood, and it's supposed to reflect the fact that the Pope is being like Jesus. Well, here's the thing, friends. It's not just for the Pope to serve. It's for all of us to serve. And I want to talk to you about how important it is to serve. Now, I know some of you may be concerned about the time, and I'm not going to keep you much longer than I normally do, so don't panic, okay? Just, uh, let's, just, let's just plug in here now and let the Spirit of God speak to our hearts. Um, you see that, uh, t- oh, back up for a sec, sorry. The, the, the bowl and the towel, do you know what that represents? That represents what Jesus Christ did, washing the feet of his disciples. And so this morning, I want you to understand that to truly follow Jesus, to truly walk with the values of Christ means that you have to learn how to be like Jesus. And we, uh, we looked at some of the values that reflect who Jesus is, but let's just quickly be reminded of what values are. Values are a collection of guiding, usually positive principles that, that influence and govern your personal conduct. It de- determines what you do, how you live your life. Our values generate certain behaviors. And so if you value servanthood, if you value serving, then you will find yourself serving. You'll find yourself doing that. You can't say, I believe in serving. I believe that we should all be like Jesus. You can't say that you believe that if you don't do it. So here's the thing this morning. If you value serving, then it's going to generate serving behavior or servanthood behavior. Let's look at this final thing. Values answers the question, why people do what they do. So here's the thing. If you are a server, if you like to serve, or if you find yourself committed to serving, then we can quickly and very easily determine that one of your great values, one of the great guiding principles in your life is the value of serving. Now, let's just quickly be reminded of, of what our real values are. And remember, these, the reason we have to have a list of values is because these character traits or these principles, these guiding principles, do not come easy to us. We are not born doing these things. These are things that we have to learn. These are things that we have to be proactive about. These are things that we have to think about doing. We've we, we got to take the time to figure this out and figure out how we're going to work this into our lives. And so here's the very first thing that we talked about. We said that that the number one value is to be like Jesus. And we said that this is what God wants for us. The thing that God wants for you more than anything else is that you be like Jesus. More, than, more important than your happiness, more important than your wealth, your healing, your prosperity, whatever. The most important thing is that you be like Jesus. And the way that you be like Jesus is ask yourself a question. Hey, hello. <laughs> one more time. Very good. Very good. This, if, this is, if this is your value, you'll find yourself asking yourself that question, whatever you do. And it's especially annoying when you're in traffic. You know, you just like to lean on the 
on the horn. But would Jesus do that? You might be tempted to give certain gestures. But you ask yourself the question, what would Jesus do? And believe me, this is where, Christi- this is where the rubber meets the road. This is where you discover true Christianity and how you live your life. Second, the second great value is walking with Jesus. It's simply doing your devotions, praying and reading your Bible every day. Thirdly, it's living with Jesus. That's being connected to the church. Being connected, when I say the church, what do I mean by that? I'm not talking about the building. I'm not saying come and live here. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is be connected to the body of Christ. Does everybody know that the church is actually the physical body of Christ, you and me? Like we could burn this building to the ground. Don't anybody do that. But we could build this building, burn this building to the ground, and we would still have church. We could still have church in the parking lot. Because we're two or more gathered together in Jesus' name. The Bible says that he's there. He shows up. And so here's the thing, really important to understand this, and this is why so many people end up in trouble spiritually. This is why so many people, they say, you know, I don't know how this happened, Pastor. I gave my heart to Jesus. I grew up in the church, and now, man, I'm having a hard time following Christ. And I'll tell you why. It's because you're not hanging out with the right people. You need to hang out with other believers because the Bible says you become like the people you hang out with. Plain and simple as that. It's a simple principle. And this is why you need to adopt it. You say, now, Pastor, does this mean I never hang out with people who are not Christians? No, I didn't say that. Because I know what verse you're going to throw at me. You're going to throw at me, well, Jesus was always with sinners, right? That's not what you're going to tell me. But remember this. The difference between what we so often do and what Jesus did is that when Jesus was, was with sinners, he was influencing them. When Jesus was with sinners, sinners were being changed because he was present. But what happens to us so often is that we are changed by the sinner. And this is where we run into huge problems spiritually. And so here's the thing. If you want to be strong spiritually, you need to hang out with believers. You need to find yourself in Christian circles. Not going in circles, but being with people that also love God. And can I just remind everybody of this? Just because you're with somebody who says he's a Christian doesn't necessarily mean that you are having church. Remember what we said. We said in order for us to experience church, Jesus has to be there. In order for us to experience Christian fellowship, Jesus has to be there. We need to invite him to be present. By the way, do you do that? Do you do that when you're together with other believers? Do you invite his presence? Fourth, the fourth value is that we live with Jesus forever. In other words, you have, you have this perspective that someday you're going to go to heaven. You're living with that on, on your mind all the time. Remember we, what we said? We said we live in the shadow of eternity. What we do now will determine what our eternity is like. And some of us, quite frankly, spend more time preparing for retirement, for our earthly retirement, than we do for our eternal retirement. Some people have spent more money and spent more time and more energy and more resources in getting ready for the day when they can tell their boss that they can take this job and give it to someone else. <laughs> Listen, you and I are going to be with Jesus someday. And so many of us foolishly think that we are guaranteed a retirement. You don't know for sure whether you're going to even reach 65. Thanks a lot, Pastor. Just what I needed to hear. <laughs> but I, do, I can promise you this. You are going to die, and you are going to face eternity. As Christians, we are, we are constantly thinking about how our lives are going to affect our eternity. This is one of our values. 
And it's, by the way, can I tell you this? The reason I have, we, have to, we have to actually state this value is because by nature, we don't want to talk about death. We don't want to talk about dying. We don't want to talk about heaven. We just don't want to go there. We'll do everything in our power to pretend it's not real. We even come up with euphemisms. We pretend like it's not going to happen. We, we, we don't say somebody dies. We say, what, that they passed on <laughs> or they went to, to a better place or they, they've, they've gone on a journey or... In fact, there's a, there's a funeral home called the, what's it called, the journey? What's it called? The, well, that's right, voyage, that's it, yeah. We're going on a voyage. Listen, this old body is going to be put in the ground, and you're going to heaven, and you're going to be given a brand new body. The question is this, is it what's it going to be like? The fifth thing I need to talk to you about today is that we're to serve like Jesus. It's called serving. Now, Jesus is, uh, is approached by James and John, two of his disciples. James and John have been in session with their mother, a typical Jewish mother who believes her sons should have the best and have the best position and get special treatment, right? It reminds me of the mother of their two sons. One's six and one's eight. She brings the kids to school and she says to the teacher, this is Jaime, the doctor, <laughs> and, and, and this is little Peter, and he's, uh, he's the lawyer. Five and six years old. She's got it all figured out. Her kids are not going to just be mediocre. They're not going to do anything less than the best. And she comes to Jesus. He says, Jesus, I think that you should let James sit on your right side or John on your left or vice versa, whatever you like, but I think that they should have special position in your kingdom. Jesus, when you're sitting on your throne, let one sit on your right and the other one on your left. Now, the, the Bible says that the, when the disciples heard about this, they're furious, livid, jealous, angry. Who do they think they are? Jesus' response is really quite interesting. It's not what you would expect. Look, look what he says. And if you could just read that with me. Jesus says, whoever wants... Hello? Whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Now here's the thing. This morning, I want you to recognize that Jesus ties serving and greatness together. Jesus ties serving and blessing together. He, he ties serving and fulfillment together. If you want to know blessing, if you want to know greatness, if you want to know fulfillment in your life, Jesus says, here's what you've got to do. You've got to serve. And so I want to talk to you this morning about the secret of greatness. I was raised uh, by my parents to be humble. Right, Dad? We were not allowed to brag, and we're not allowed to talk about ourselves. And our family, if you even hinted that you'd done something uh, wonderful or magnificent, if you hinted it, maybe you did something well, you had to keep it to yourself uh, and until somebody maybe asked you a question. So if you did something well, you walk around with a funny smile on your face until somebody says, what are you smiling about? And you think, I, did, I got 100% on my test. That's not bragging. That's just answering a question. <laughs> I remember the time uh, I told my dad, Dad, you know what? I've been driving for six years and I haven't had a parking, 
or driving ticket once, a speeding ticket once. And dad said, well, touch wood, and the closest thing to you is your head. <laughs> can't brag. Can't brag about that. You know, we, we, we sometimes think that there's something wrong with wanting to be great. That there's something wrong about having the ambition to do great things and to achieve great things, to become a great person, a great man, a great woman, doing great things. But you notice that Jesus does not ridicule his disciples. He doesn't tell them to touch wood, Dad. He, he, he doesn't put them down. He doesn't humiliate them. He doesn't rebuke them and say, you know, uh, you know, you really should be more modest. There's no lectures on modesty or humility here. There's no call for self-effacement. No, none of us hang your head down and act like a worm. No, Jesus seems to be encouraging it. Yeah, look at that. Whoever wants to be great among you, whoever wants to be first, Jesus seems to be in favor of this. I ought to tell you this. There's nothing I want more than for my kids to be great and to do great things. There's nothing I want more than to see my kids achieve and be successful and, 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 and have a life that truly counts. I'm going to tell you this. As parents, we, we sometimes want to live vicariously through our kids because we too want greatness. We too want to do something significant and something important. And sometimes you find ourselves pushing our kids in a direction that we would personally like to go. Big mistake that we push them in the way we want them to go. But what is correct is that we would encourage our kids to be great and do, to do great things. Everyone wants to make their life count for eternity. This is normal. It's normal to want to do great things and achieve great things. Young people want to be great. A couple of years ago, we did a, a survey of some of the youth. We asked them, what would they like to do for a living? What, what, what would they like to pursue? And, and 80% of them said either they wanted to be an actor or a singer or, or a dancer, one of those things. Why? Because our culture, our society says to be great, you have to be a famous singer or a famous actor or a famous dancer. And that's why all the reality shows are so, are, are, are so widely watched and, and embraced because we are, we're trying to live vicariously through this. We want to be great. We want to be famous. Making... Making it your ambition to be great is not a bad thing. I'm going to tell you why. The reason it's not a bad thing is because it reflects who our Father in Heaven is. The Bible tells us that God is great. And you're supposed to say, God is great? Thank you, Richard. Thank you. God is great all the time. Guess what? God expects us to be like him. God expects us to be great, to achieve greatness. We're created in the image of God. We're created to do extraordinary things, magnificent things. That's how God created us. We're created to amaze. But here's the secret. The secret to greatness, my friends, is not just to be plunked into that position of greatness. Because that doesn't work. And we've seen, we've seen movie star and, movies and, and, and famous singer and famous actress after actress after actor crash and burn. What happened? 
secret to greatness is simple. The secret, Jesus says, is that you need to serve. You want to be great, Jesus says, then you must be, your, then you must be a servant. Whoever wants to be first must be, look at this, a slave of all. It's pretty amazing. Jesus is not against being great and doing great things. But Jesus is saying this, it'll never happen properly if you don't do it his way, Jesus' way. And the way that Jesus says that you can be great is by being a servant. Now, here's the thing. You want to have a great marriage? Who wants to have a great marriage? I do. The only way that that's going to happen is if one or both partners decides and makes up their mind to become a servant to the other. That's how you're going to have a great marriage. You want to have a great family? Then, parents, you need to serve your kids and not just expect your kids to serve you. Your kids need to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that their mom and dad are serving them. And by the way, parents, you need to teach your kids how to serve you as well. You need to make that definitely in a high in your priority chart. They need, your kids need to learn what it means to serve. And the way that they learn to serve is by serving you. My dad did a good job teaching me how to serve. One of the great absurdities of our faith is that if you want to be great, you've got to be a servant. It doesn't make sense to our natural mind. Because our natural mind says, look, if I want to be great, then I need to have wealth and fame and power to be great. But Jesus says, no, you got this all wrong. you got it all mixed up. You see, here's the problem. We see greatness, but we don't see what it takes to get to the place of greatness. And Jesus is saying, the way to get to the place of greatness is by saying, God, here am I. I'm willing to serve. I'm willing to be a slave to everyone. Jesus tells James and John, they can, they can see their dreams of greatness fulfilled. All they have to do is to become a servant and a slave to everybody else. Now, you just see those disciples. They're, they're, they're all jealous and mad at James and John, and they're like furious at him, and Jesus doesn't seem to be supporting them and their anger against James and John. In fact, Jesus is saying, James and John, you, you want to be great? Go serve those guys over there, the ones that are mad at you <laughs> for wanting to be great. I'm going to tell you something. People will, will do everything in their power to, to kill your dreams and to put you down and to stop you dead in your tracks. You will find that all of hell will rise up against you when you decide that you want to be great for God's glory. The minute you decide that you're going to be a servant, you're going to find that you've got feelings of anger, you've got feelings of resentment, maybe feelings of bitterness. But here's what makes you great, is that you overcome that and you say, God, I'm willing to do whatever it takes to serve. I think of Mother Teresa. She, she, her ambition wasn't necessarily to be great. Her ambition was to go and serve the very, very poorest in Calcutta, India. And through extreme servanthood, she became great. This past week, I met with Sergio Bersaglio. He's the, he's the missionary in Zambia that we've raised funds for to build his villages of hope. You know what he said to me? He said, Alan, I never would have dreamed that I would have ended up in this place. But he says, all I did was offer to go to the mission field on a, on a missions trip for just a few weeks because I had some basic ability in, in construction management. He, he goes over there and he does such a great job managing the simple building of a few houses that they ask him to stay on a little longer. And he said, God, I just want to serve you. I just want to serve you. Today, he's got villages of hope all over Zambia. 
and, and, and literally ministering to thousands upon thousands of children. He never set out to be great, but what he did set out to do is he set out to serve. And today, he's doing great things. And God has been glorified through his life. I'm going to tell you, if you want to have greatness, no greatness in your marriage, in your career, you want to be great at what you do, then learn how to serve and watch how things are turned around. You're struggling in your job right now? Start serving. See yourself as a servant and watch what happens. Watch the way you will be shot up through the ranks. You will move through the ranks and be promoted above others if you have the attitude of a servant because this is what greatness is made out of. I'm going to tell you this. It's, it's not just quite that easy. And I say, okay, pastor, thanks for telling me that. I'm going to be a servant, and I'm, away I go. I'm going to go and serve. I've got to warn you something before you go, serving anywhere or in any way. I've got to tell you that there is an enemy of greatness. And this enemy of greatness is also an <laughs> enemy of, of serving and servanthood. It's basically the, the enemy is the enemy of both. And look what, look what it says here. The Apostle Paul is speaking to the Christians in, uh, in Galatia, and, and this is what he says. He says, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Read it. Okay, here's the, here's the enemy of greatness. The enemy of greatness is selfishness. Um, we, we read in that last passage of Scripture, Jesus says that you've got you've to be a slave of most people, or is it of all? Of all. Now, it's easy to be a slave or a servant to some people, but it's far more difficult to be a slave or a servant to all. The reason is this, is that we are self-centered by nature. We almost always will put our own interests first. Unless we have the value of a and the guiding principle of servanthood. We're, uh, we're, we're, we're nature, by nature quite selfish, and, and this is why the Apostle Paul has to point out the fact that uh, we're in the habit of indulging the flesh. What do we mean by the flesh, by the way? Very simply, uh, the flesh, is a, is a, in the Greek, it's a hard word to translate, but essentially what it says is, is that the flesh is everything that is opposite to life in the Spirit. That's what, it, that's what we're, we're talking about. Everything that's opposite to life in the Spirit. And if you go on in Galatians chapter 5, you'll, you'll see that great passage called the, the passage that, that outlines the fruit of the Spirit. You, you knew that, and you learned about it in Sunday school, and the fruit of the Spirit is what? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Paul says this, the opposite of that is the flesh. It's self-centeredness. So every time... You are not walking in the Spirit. Every time that you are not being loving and joyful and kind and patient and, 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 uh, and self-controlled, what you're doing, very simply, is you are living according to the flesh. My friends, this will kill greatness in you. This will destroy any hopes or ambitions that you might have of doing something truly significant in this world. The greatest people in this world are the greatest servants. Selfishness, it's, it's our lifelong epic struggle. And absolutely every one of us knows what that means. I don't know if anybody here watches any movies at any time or has watched any movies in, the, in, in their lifetime, but I can tell you this. All the great movies, all the great books, all the great poems, 
deal with this struggle. All the great stories are along this line of someone serving someone, someone caring for someone, someone laying down their life for somebody else. You think about it. All the great books, all the great poems, all the great movies and stories, all the great plays deal with this idea of somebody serving or somebody who's not serving. And you see the tension there. And it, it resonates in us because we understand this. Uh, maybe you saw Casablanca. I don't know if anybody's seen Casablanca. It's considered one of the greatest movies of all time. It's a black and white. My kids think that movies that are black and white are not real movies and definitely not worth watching. What is it, what is it about? Basically, Humphrey Bogart gives up the woman, decides to serve the Allied forces, to serve the war cause. To serve, he, he decides he's going to serve his country. He's going to serve the forces of good against Hitler by giving up, by making a sacrifice, by losing the girl. And it makes for a great, a great story. And it resonates in us. And this is why it has endured. That's why it's powerful. Anybody read or see the movie Gone with the Wind? Anybody remember that story? Rhett Butler, Scarlett O'Hara. It's, it's an old story. These, now, this movie is colored, so this could count as a real movie for my kids. Basically, what it is about, Rhett Butler, Clark Gable, dashing actor of the middle of the last century. He falls in love with Scarlett O'Hara, but, but uh, Scarlett O'Hara just wants to use him where he's willing to serve her and do whatever she needs to help her get through this difficult time in American history. It's the Civil War. She, uh, she takes advantage of him and uses him. Makes her great storytelling. Because why? Because it resonates with us. We understand this. Folks, what makes us great is our willingness to serve. Anybody remember uh, The Sound of Music? Julie Andrews? I'm, I'm kind of embarrassed to mention this, but it's one of my favorite movies. I know some are going. This nun, looking for a purpose in life, comes to serve this captain who's a widow, who's lost his wife and has got seven kids, and trying to raise these kids by whistles and rules that come right out of the Navy. She steps in. It says, I'm willing to serve this family. And what unfolds now is one of the great, great stories of the last century. She's willing to serve. Folks, th listen to me. If you're going to be great, if you're going to achieve greatness, now I'm not, ta I'm not ta necessarily talking about greatness on a level with a president or, or a Mother Teresa either. But if you're going to achieve greatness in your marriage, in your family, in your job, then you're going to have to learn how to serve and not be self-centered. Because selfishness, indulging the flesh, is the enemy of greatness. And it will destroy you every time. If you're wondering why, listen to me, if you're wondering why you haven't advanced or why things are the way they are, remember what we said, your values generate behavior. Values answers the question why things are the way they are in your life. 
If you find that you're struggling in your marriage, struggling in your family, struggling in your relationship to people, if you're struggling in, in your career, then listen to me. You need to ask yourself the question, am I indulging the flesh? Am I living for myself? Or am I being like Jesus? Because Jesus has called us to walk in the Spirit. When we walk in the Spirit, there's love and there's joy and there's peace and there's patience and there's kindness and there's goodness and there's gentleness and there's self-control. In fact, Paul says, against these things, there is no law. When you do this, you're at your peak. You're at your very best. And I'm going to tell you this. You need to make this a discipline in your life, this business of serving people. You, you've got to make this a daily discipline, something that you do on a regular basis. For the entire law is filled, fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. Listen to me. When you became Christians, Jesus set you free. And the freedom that you have allows you to make a decision to serve. You're free, this is, you're free to give up your freedom. That's what we're talking about. You're free to give up your freedom. You're free now to say, I'm going to lay my life down for you, whether you like it or not. I'm going to serve you whether you like it or not. You can be mean to me. You can be nasty to me. You can swear at me. You can kick me, punch me, spit at me. But I'm going to serve you and love you anyway. None of this makes sense if you're trying to think of this through the natural mind. But here's the thing. For those who surrender their life to Christ, this is what it means to walk in the Spirit. And this is, my friends, when you begin to see miracles take place in your life. Because now the Spirit of God is free to move powerfully in you and through you, because you're walking in the Spirit. It's a discipline. Living unselfish is, is a, as, a, as a lifestyle does not come easy. And you can't do it in your own strength. You can't do it in your own power. And so I'm going to just tell you really quickly how you are going to develop this discipline. The first thing that you absolutely need to do is you need to understand that you need the strength of God. You can't do this in your own power. How many know that today? You cannot live a, 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 an unselfish life in your own power because by nature you are very selfish. In fact, this morning I want to make a confession to you. You're looking at a very selfish man. And everybody said, now don't get uppity because you're the same as me. By nature, we are very self-centered. And we need to develop this discipline of serving and putting ourselves second and putting others first. We don't do it naturally. The great Apostle Peter, one of the truly greats, if there are two, two truly, truly great apostles, it would be Peter and Paul. And this is, listen, listen to what the Apostle Peter says. The great apostle, he says this, he says, in 1 Peter 4.11, he says, if anyone serves, they should do it with the strength of God. If anyone serves, they should do it with the strength God provides, so that in all things, God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Do you want to know why you need the power of God to help you? Do you want to know why you need the strength of God to live a disciplined, unselfish life? I'll tell you why. Because it's so easy to become disillusioned. 
It's so easy to become resentful. It's so easy to become angry. Or it's easy to use serving as a means to your own selfish ends for wrong motives, to get something. You need the strength of God. And folks, this is why our number two value that we talked about, walking with Jesus, is so utterly important. You cannot carry out these values unless you are daily and regularly and faithfully walking with Jesus. You need to be praying. You need to be, you need to be reading your Bible. You need to be strengthened so that you can honor Jesus and you can live this unselfish life. Otherwise, you're going to be extremely self-centered and it's going to kill all greatness in you. The discipline of greatness needs the strength of the Lord and here's the other thing it needs. It needs some sort of a promise that it's not in vain. Jesus is out for out, out doing ministry in the, in the backside of Palestine in those days, the roads are not paved. There's, there's not a lot of, uh, a lot of sources to, to water. And he's, uh, he's done. He's tired. And he and all his disciples, they all finish for the day. They all pile into a house, sit down. Now, here's the thing. Palestinian hospitality is such that when you go to somebody's house, whoever, whoever owns that house or whoever's, uh, the least in the household. It's their job now to provide water to help everybody wash up, clean up, and, and especially wash everybody's feet. This is where this idea came from, the washing feet. So they all piled in, all the disciples are looking around at each other thinking, hmm, wonder who's got the terrible job of washing feet today. Remember, this is, this is important, important stuff for Palestinian hospitality. It's the protocols of just good manners. Everybody's looking at each other. Some of the older disciples are thinking, well, I'm not doing it. It really should be the younger disciples. And younger disciples are saying, well, you know, we're, we're doing our part. Why should we be treated less than? And you know, this thing's going through people's minds. You know how it is. Suddenly Jesus gets up, rolls up his sleeves, pulls up his gown, tucks it into his belt, gets on his knees, gets a basin of water, and starts washing everybody's feet. And Peter, now being really spiritual, says, oh, no, 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 Master, you don't have to wash my feet. And Jesus says, well, if you don't let me wash your feet, then you can't be part of me. And Peter says, well, in that case, then do the whole thing. Like, wash everything. I'm all yours. And Jesus says, no, I don't need to do that because you've been washed with the truth that I've been preaching to you. And then Jesus goes on to say this. Now I'm going to tell you a truth that will absolutely revolutionize your life. Jesus says, do what I do. You saw the way that I washed your feet? Now you've got to do that for each other. And here's the thing. Jesus says, now that you know this, now that you know these things, now that you know the importance of serving each other, you will be blessed if you do them. This is the truth, my friends. This is the, tru that, the truth that cleanses you. This is the truth that revolutionizes your life and makes you great, enables you to do great things when you stop living for yourself. I've got to tell you, 
I, I have people come to me all the time, frustrated in their walk with God. Pastor, I've lost my joy and I've lost my peace and I've lost my sense of God's approval and things aren't going right and I can't be victorious and I just can't seem to overcome and, and I, uh, my, our marriage is struggling, our family life is struggling, everything's struggling. Everything's a struggle. And where's, what happened to the peace I'm supposed to have? And, and where's the joy that I had when I first became a Christian? There's one answer to that and one solution. If you're here this morning and you want to see a turnaround in your life, if you're here this morning and you want to see things change and you're sick of the way things are right now, here's what you've got to do. You've got to say, God, here am I. I'm ready to serve. I'm willing to do whatever I can to make life better for someone, somewhere. God, here am I. I'm showing up for duty. God, I don't want to live for myself. I want to live for others. God needs you. God wants to use you. And this is where the peace and the joy is hiding. This is why I call it the secret of greatness. It's the secret of fulfillment. The secret of happiness is in serving. You need to sign up to serve. You need to say, here am I. I'm ready to be used by God. Would you stand with me, please?